Hey, Jenny, what's so great about beer? Beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Welcome, welcome. You are listening to Beer Talk Radio. I am your host, Ginny the Greek, and this is the podcast where we explore craft beer culture with industry experts, foodie friends, ale enthusiasts, and microbrew misfits. If you enjoy the show, please don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes. If you're interested in learning more about Beer Talk Radio, please visit www.beertalkradio.net. All of the social media links announcements, events, and promotions are on the website. And if you have a suggestion, if there's a person you'd like me to interview or a brewery you would like me to visit, please write me an email with your feedback at jenny at beertalkradio.net. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is, he is an experienced professional beer competition judge, and he has a lot to say about craft beer. We're going to get into all of those topics very, very soon. But first, please introduce yourself. Tell us where you live, what you do for a living, and you have the floor. Okay. Hi, my name is I'm an alcoholic. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, my name is I'm a St. Louis, Missouri resident. I've been a certified beer judge for the past year or so. I've uh, been involved in homebrewing in the beer industry here for about in about four or five years now, and uh, full-time uh, full gig, I do technical writing for a fire safety company. The beer stuff is part-time, but uh, I honestly get a lot of fun and satisfaction out of it. Yeah, we well, the beer stuff is part-time for me, too, so that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. We don't have to be full-on in the industry to appreciate what the industry mm -hmm. does for us. So exactly. I'm going to ask you some questions, and you're welcome to speak as much or as little as you want. We're just going to keep the conversation going. I love okay. your I love your energy already. Like, you're you're we're going to have more fun on this podcast than you had on your others. I promise you. Anyway, oh, those got pretty interesting on a couple of those. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start at the very, very beginning. How old were you when you first started drinking beer? And you can be honest, we were all underage anyway. <laughs> well, I'm a Catholic, so uh, enough said there. <laughs> hey, we're not in church for a long time. We're there for a good time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. When did you first start drinking what we all refer to now as craft beer? That's a very good question. I would say probably, I'd say probably my early 20s, I think. Uh, one of the big breweries here in St. Louis, uh, Schlafly, they were kind of the first craft brewery to pop up here in St. Louis, one of the first microbreweries to be built here uh, in years. I mean, uh, St. Louis at one point had well over four or five dozen breweries but after prohibition and then just through ab getting bigger and bigger there was just more of like a war of attrition in a sense a lot of these breweries that started dropping off then uh anheuser bush was the last one left standing okay then uh early 90s uh Schlafly beer company they were the first brewery open up in st louis in probably a long time i think and they've kind of been our flagship uh, flagship uh microbrewer they're kind of 
if I could put an equivalent to them, I'd say they're kind of like uh, Sam Adams or Sierra Nevada in a sense. St. Okay. Louis. Okay, great. And I first tried one of their beers, I'd say probably early 20s. Never really appreciated what it was until uh, I moved out of state. I worked in uh, Maryland as a defense contractor for a couple of years. Out there, I got introduced to uh, Dogfish Head, which is still one of my favorite craft beers. Uh, Most of a, us uh, it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was uh, pretty different from what I was used to and everything. Me, me being a St. Louis guy, always uh, drank uh, Bud, Budweiser products, Anheuser-Busch products. But then somebody hands me a 90-minute IPA from Dogfish Head. So, and it blew your mind. Yeah. I took a sip, stopped, thought for a second, took another sip, took another sip. What the hell is this? This is good. <laughs> it was just so different and everything. I actually got to meet uh, Sam Calagione a couple of years ago. He was in town uh, here in St. Louis. Uh, Dogfish had finally uh, got the right to distribute their beers here and everything. They picked up a distributor. And he even signed uh, a copy of his uh, book that I had, uh, Brewing Up a Business. Um, they say never meet your heroes, but um, I sure didn't regret meeting him. I got to tell him he's the reason I got involved in homebrewing in the whole beer industry. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that worked out for you. And never meet your heroes, that's bullshit. I've met a lot of my heroes, and I'm happy that I did. Tell me a little bit about how you got into beer judging. And that's really the bread and butter of what I want our interview to be. I want to know, did, did you have a friend introduce you to it? Did you start going to beer competitions just for fun and someone offered you a position to help? How did, th how did that happen? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I'm pretty heavily involved in the homebrewing scene here in St. Louis. I'm kind of the one of the I guess a front man's probably a good for, uh, uh, descriptor of what I do for him right now. Uh, about roughly four years ago, um, the National Homebrews Competition, they were doing the first round of it here in St. Louis. And before that, a couple other local competitions, I was a uh, steward for them, just kind of describing beers to the judges, taking care of score sheets, all that kind of stuff. And during uh, the first round in 2015, all of a sudden the uh, the uh, organizer and head judge tapped me on the shoulder. Hey, uh, we're short of judge. You feel like doing this tonight? I'm like, wait, what? Because at that point, I barely knew anything about judging. I was just kind of lost at that point. So they paired me up with an experienced judge to walk me through it and thought, you know what? That wasn't half bad. A couple of beers were on the rougher side, but uh, <laughs> did that a couple more times. And uh, uh, last year, I took the, the tasting exam to get my uh, – judge certification uh, passed, and uh, at that point, I was a certified beer judge. This is a two-part question. Okay. When you say that you, when you inadvertently volunteered to, <laughs> or should I say when someone else volunteered you to be that judge, and you said mm. you had a more, your exact words, you had a more experienced judge walk you through it. Explain, mm -hmm. walk us through it. Walk us okay. through it. Did your judge give you a checklist? Did he tell you, okay, these are the since these are the things you want to be noticing. These are the things you want to be tasting. These are the things you want to be smelling. This is the color you're looking for. How did he walk you through it? Explain that um, to us. Pretty much exactly the same way you just did. Um, I know I'm good. <laughs> he was a, he was a nation, nationally ranked judge, which is uh, uh, the certification I have is called the BJCP, the Beer Judge Certification Program. They have uh, multiple rankings in there. 
you start off as, uh, I think, an apprentice or an associate, then uh, provisional, which means you've taken a tasting exam, but you haven't taken a tasting exam yet. And you have recognized, this means you've passed it, but you haven't scored enough points or gotten experience yet. Then to recognize a certified, which I am currently right now, I'm hoping to test for national next year. Then you have the national guys, and there's probably less than a thousand of those here in the U.S., actually just worldwide. Then above that, you have the masters and the grandmasters. Uh, the guy I was paired with, uh, he's a pretty well-known no, well uh, nationally ranked judge in the St. Louis area. Uh, he kind of pretty much did the same thing you just said, just walked me through, so this is the style we're judging. You want to look for this flavor, this color, this aroma, this kind of texture, and then just kind of put your overall impression there. Um, I didn't know the style all that well, but I knew how to brew it and everything. I knew some of the basics to look for. At that point, my palate was still kind of mm, – still work in progress is probably the best way to put it. Right. It is for all of us. And we're going to get to talking about uh, palettes in a second. Uh, but keep going, please. Mm -hmm. So um, each judge, when they're paired up, they have to taste anywhere from maybe, I say, six to ten beers sometimes, depending on the competition. Uh, usually the organizers try and keep it to less than ten because at that point, even if it's a low ABV beer, it's going to, after a while, it kind of, totals up a little bit even a four percent beer you have to try 10 of those yeah that four percent is going to add up right mm -hmm. that's why they make sure that they really kind of feed the judges a pretty fair amount before they start the competition and everything there's always uh, sandwiches or pizza or the just kind of greasy stuff on hand just to help kind of absorb all the booze and all right. uh, it, it's far uh when well i guess i mean they uh, kept asking me back for more stuff than the uh guy in the area that runs the uh, judge uh, certification uh, exams and everything and the study program uh, asked I wanted to attend and I said sure why not so I did that last year and worked out pretty good for me. Awesome the next part of that question is let's talk about the the certification exams can you tell us like imagine that you're imagine we have a listener right now who's very interested in following in your path Okay. But, inten but intentionally, not unintentionally. Gotcha. And w explain where would someone sign up to go through a certification and what kind of prerequisites are needed? Is there any study of fermentation sciences that's needed? Is there any study of culinary that's needed to pass that exam? Is there a book you they give you? Uh, I'm to I'm to talk to me as if I'm totally stupid. How would I go about doing that? Well, there's uh, two judge, there's two uh, beer tasting certifications out there. One is the Cicerone program, mm -hmm. which is a great program. I think it's geared more towards like the uh, service, towards more like the uh, yeah, more like a service in the kind of the uh, uh, the bar counter kind of side mm -hmm. of the house in a sense and everything. Right. And there, you can look for what flavors the beer's supposed to have and everything, and kind of determine like good food pairings, whether the beer has a problem or not. Uh, BJCP. I'd say it's more for like a, an operations kind in a sense. Uh, with that, um, if you do one of the study programs, some of the judges in the nation offer that and also overseas as well. What they are is they go through every single aspect of the whole brewing process. Everything from uh, picking the right malts, uh, picking the right hops, finding the right yeast, looking at uh, how, what your water content is, fermentation temperatures, just the whole shebang. It's uh, pretty intense and during that time, a good course, you'll try about maybe five or six ex uh, commercial examples of a beer style each night. Um, 
the toughest one, I think, is when they started doing the Trappist beers, uh, pretty much the ones that those monks make over there in mm -hmm. uh, Belgium and Netherlands and everything. Uh, those, uh, most of their stuff doesn't come in under 7%, so trying uh, five or six of those in one night, uh, it was... <laughs> Do you have to have like Irish or German descent to be a beer judge? Like you have, I imagine you'd have to have a pretty good tolerance or you'd have to be a chef like me and have years and years of drinking under your belt to where your body just <laughs> doesn't, doesn't absorb the alcohol like the normal person. Well, half my heritage is uh, German by ancestry. Perfect. So yeah. Right on, right on. Um, let's talk about going more into tasting and palate. So uh, I will just, for, for our listeners, as a chef, I worked for another chef uh, a few years back, and I, I've always had a great palate. Like, I've always been a great cook, even before I realized how important it was to really kind of take care of it. It's almost like a tool. And if mm -hmm. it's the tool of your trade, it's something you need to take care of. One of the things that I, a painful lesson that I have to learn and in continuing to learn is that I have to quit smoking. And it's mm -hmm. not so much, it's not so much because, not even for my health, but just because I can't pick up every flavor and I can't pick up every mm -hmm. scent when your olfaction and gestational senses are being numbed and distorted by the chemicals in the cigarettes. Is there anything that a beer certification judge needs to be aware of in terms of maintaining their tool? meaning mm -hmm. maintaining their palate? Exactly. Um, smoking is one of the big ones. Uh, chewing tobacco as well, pretty much avoiding tobacco products is a big help at that point. Um, also, before you do the competitions, you want to avoid anything that's got like strong bitterness, like say coffee, for example, or a really strong tea. Uh, you want to avoid spicy food as well, because that can really mess things up. Um, Didn't know that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Attention serious sports bettors. Have you ever wondered what happens to a line on a game before you bet it? How many times have you lost a game by a half a point? Hi, I'm Steven, and I've been a successful professional gambler for over 30 years. I created a podcast called Tell Me I'm Wrong. I talk about value when it comes to sports betting, since such a small percentage of us are successful in this business, I'm sure just about everything I talk about and share will be just about the opposite of anything you've ever done. Through the years, I've also met some very off-color, off-center characters, and I'll share some of the hilarious stories that have happened when I've crossed their paths. Please join me for the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. You could also find me in my social media links on www.tellmeimwrongshow.com. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, every half point matters. Good example. Here's a good story for you. I went out to... Uh helped judge a competition in Kansas City this year and also went back for a tasting exam for another certification this year. Uh, there was one judge there that um, 
Sorry, I'm, I'm going to be fixing my eyelash, but please keep talking. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, there was one judge out there, never caught who he was, but uh, he kept going outside like every five or 10 minutes during judging for smoking breaks and everything, which one was throwing off the pace for judging, which got some folks annoyed. And then after that, I remember I was judging the uh, wheat beers and everything, pretty much the American wheats, German wheats and everything. And I'm taking a sniff, and all of a sudden, I just smell this foul aroma as this guy walks by and everything. And I'm wondering what the heck is going on. Take another sniff. And then all the other guys around me just take a sniff, and they just start yelling. Apparently, the guy was walking by, and he was crop dusting people. And I was, yeah, I was Crop dusting people? What does that mean? Uh, Walking by and letting one loose, farting. Oh, he was farting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, just, um, I don't know what his rank was or anything, but it was definitely we're not, not what I would call professional. And um, apparently, if I went out there for that certification, another certification in Kansas City during the springtime, um, apparently he didn't check the rules and stuff, and he got himself uh, disqualified from taking, from a, taking a tasting exam that day, which was even more shocking because – to get to that point, you gotta know the rule book and everything about because the tasting exam for uh, the BJCP certifications, uh, it's closed book. You can't have anything open there as far as the guidelines. You can't have you can't look at anything. It's all just from memory. At that point, you're trying out different beers, meads, or ciders. Well, you know what? With that guy, it sounds like it was probably more of a, a personality issue than just a, a knowledge issue. So if, fuck him. You don't need him. <laughs> um, if he doesn't respect the rules, then he can't be a part of it. I mean, it's that simple. <laughs> Let's hear some stories from beer competitions. Have you ever seen a judge? All right, let's, I'll break it down. First off, what's the craziest thing you've heard or seen a judge do? Oh, if you have more than uh, one, feel free to elaborate. You can tell as many stories as you like. Go ahead. For the most part, a lot of the judges I've worked with, they've been very professional and everything. Sometimes our palettes aren't in sync when we're scoring, but overall, we can usually kind of work it out. Um, this is something uh, I didn't experience directly, but there was one guy at a competition recently where he apparently, uh, I don't know what his deal was, but he started going off in the head judge for no good reason and just stormed out of there. Apparently he was upset because uh, he wasn't sync with other judges and everything. He felt like uh, the fix was in, which it's not. Um, I don't know. It was just a mess. I Some of the stuff I've heard uh, uh, secondhand from the head judge. Uh, spill the tea. In, in this case, spill the pint. Okay. Yeah, just with that um it was awkward I, I, as i said been judging beer for a while now and i've had yeah, that um usually there's a problem uh judges will take it up privately and everything but this guy um i don't know the other judges at the table are just feeling really uncomfortable with him too uh i don't know it was just weird personality Overall, yeah, issue possibly i'm not exactly sure what happened because i've met the guy a couple times before and he seemed perfectly fine at that point this time i don't know maybe he's just having a rough night or something <laughs> oh drinking too much tasting too many beers must be so hard for him mm -hmm. 
Yeah, he's probably on drugs. <laughs> that's when when people act out a character. That's usually what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, any any other crazy? Have you have you seen any judges get into fights with one another, like fist fights or? Oh God, no, no. Nah. Okay, for the most part, uh, a beer judge is a very happy, jovial, drunken, docile creature. Is probably the best way to put it. Um, Usually the funniest thing we see sometimes is uh, facial expressions because sometimes we'll have these beers that just really kind of hit the mark. Other times, especially with judging homebrew competitions, the goal of a, BC, of a BJCP judge is not to just provide independent feedback, but also to help uh, somebody fix their beer in a sense, just ways they can improve it. That's why we learn the whole brewing process and learn stuff like what causes certain off flavors or off aromas. Some of the main stuff we come across is just guys that need to uh, use a higher concentration of yeast, uh, make sure it starts off healthy and everything, because that causes a lot of uh, off flavors and off aromas and just flat issues with your beer and everything. Um, I've had a couple of beers that I'm pretty sure the person sent them in, they were looking for some help because they just clunk. <laughs> That's the best way I can put it. Um, I've had one or two that have poured out like a uh, I'd say dirty dishwasher, dishwater, and smelled about just as bad. I'm wow. thinking at that point, if you're sending that in, you know there's a problem. Um, I mean, that's just tasting and smelling it. We can smell just like with certain types of uh, bacteria, what the cause it was. I think with that guy, I think what happened was um, with brewing beer, one of the most important things you need to do is make sure everything in your equipment is sanitized. Everything. 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 The lines, the tubes, the cap, the inside of the bottle. Steam is your friend. Exactly. Steam or, or caustic acid or just really strong alkaline brewery wash and everything. I mean, pretty much steam, acid, alkaline. Because uh, pretty much beer, uh, once it's done with the boiling process and everything, at that point, it's essentially a, just a giant Petri dish. I mean, even just a, a little bit of the wrong bacteria gets in there within a couple of weeks, you're going to know it quick. Very good to know. um, I've been doing this for getting close to seven years now, I think. Yeah, it'll be seven years in a couple of weeks. And I've only lost me about half a dozen or so batches to infections. And that usually happens when I'm just tired it's i start i've started late on brew days we're gonna go into home brewing next but i just wanted to get back to competitions and then we'll wrap that part up what's the craziest thing you've ever seen from a competitor oh (laughs) um give me some competitor stories or in entry should i say applicant stories Mm -hmm. yeah entries and applicants um i don't know with home brewers i mean and even some of the commercial guys, the sky is the limit there. You can do just about anything you want. Probably one of the best ones I've tasted was my buddy Josh's uh, jalapeno cream ale. Pretty much he mm. made it a standard American cream ale, and he put jalapeno in there. Usually uh, pepper beers scare me. There was one brewery in town that they did a jalapeno IPA one time. And at first I took a sip, like, I don't get it, where's the heat? And all of a sudden the heat hits right at the back end. of my mouth. And just goes off like a nuke all the way down my throat into my stomach and everything. At that point, I'm just, my eyes are tearing up. I look at the server. I just beg him for a glass of milk at that point. I was in pain. (laughs) Well, it sounds like they put too much in because I've, um, I'm a big pepper beer fan. There's one um, that 
I don't know if you listened to my interview with Gilman Brewing in Berkeley, but they used to have a Serrano and Jalapeno pepper beer. I forget what beer style it was. I think it was a Hef and I loved it, but it was just subtle enough. It was spicy enough to be flavorful, but it was subtle enough to where it wasn't burning. They don't, they don't make that beer anymore because the jalapenos corroded their lines. And oh, so that was, a lesson, that was a lesson that they had to learn. But they don't make that beer anymore, but it was delicious. I wish they would bring it back. Um, and then there's one very, very popular one. I don't really want to plug it. But fuck it, I'll plug it anyway. Uh, Banger Brewing in Las Vegas is known, like their staple beer is called Jalapeno Hef. And it's also a jalapeno beer, but it, it's not as flavorful as the one that Gilman did. But I guess they've figured out some sort of cool way to keep their lines from clogging and corroding with jalapenos. So I'm not afraid of a pepper beer. So if you find the right one, listeners, you might just like it. Yeah, there's a brewery uh, out in Columbia, Missouri. It's uh, halfway between here in Kansas City on I-70, uh, Burr Oak. They make a brown ale that they put uh, Chipotle into. And it's got like this nice kind of smoky burn to it and everything. It starts off kind of like the smokiness and then the pepper heat kind of hits you right at the end. But it's just a good, even transition and everything. That's uh, for folks that want to make a pepper beer. If you want to do well in competition, you got to add the peppers at the right time Mm -hmm. to get that smooth transition. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, there's nothing here. And all of a sudden, ah, 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 ah. That's going to turn off the judges really quick. Balance is the key to winning competitions. I liken pepper beers to to bourbon. It's one of those things you either like it or you don't. And you're either going to appreciate that little tiny bit of burn and smokiness or you're not. But that Chipotle beer sounds delicious. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to be looking for that. Do they still make it? Yeah, they still make it. It's a seasonal one. I think they start around July or August. I think they wrap up production on that one probably October, November, I think. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Anything other, anything else you've seen amongst competitors? Any fights? Any any protests? D- d- any sabotaging? Any weird shit happen? Nah, I've never seen any sabotage. Uh, there's definitely uh, a fair amount of uh, talking behind other people's backs sometimes behind the scenes. That used to be a problem in St. Louis. Then uh, myself and some of the other folks in the area, we kind of clamped down on that and everything. I know uh, one time I. Uh, there was a competition in the area called Ivermeisters where the goal of the, for everybody competing in that one, you have to make a beer with a tree ingredient uh, or at least a home brew with a tree ingredient. That year I decided to make a mead, a honey wine. And that one, I aged it in a whiskey barrel, brewed it with maple syrup and some turbinado sugar and put it into the keg and ended up walking away with uh, the grand prize. Uh, nice. folks weren't exactly happy about that because it te- it wasn't a beer, but the rules said homebrew. Now, if it would have brought in a wine, that would have understood, but um, mead's kind of a gray area in a sense. Um, For my listeners, just to get, let you guys know, mead is one of my favorite things in the world. It's sweet, it's delicious, and it's palatable for people who don't like beer, just like ciders are. If you don't like beer, you'll probably like a nice pear cider, or if you can find Mm -hmm. um, an organic apple cider that isn't too sugary and isn't too artificially flavored, and there are some out there that 
not Angry Orchard, okay? Fuck Angry Orchard, all right? You're not going to find anything good from them. But try some of the smaller breweries and you'll find some great stuff. And I also wanted to mention the best meads I've ever had actually come from Ethiopian restaurants. So I don't know oh, yeah. where everyone Ethiopian lives. Had that stuff. That's some good stuff. Yeah, I don't know where everyone lives, but here in California, we have a strong Atrian and Ethiopian presence. You know, we have a lot of diversity here. We pretty much have everyone from every part of the world. Even in Las Vegas, there's, a, there's an Ethiopian neighborhoods. So if you want to try good meads, start at an Ethiopian uh market or start in an Ethiopian restaurant and go from there. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know here in St. Louis, there's an Ethiopian restaurant over on Grand Avenue. Uh, they had some uh, Tej there. I think it's how to pronounce it. I'm not exactly 100% sure how, how it's pronounced, but they had that there. It was a homemade one. It was probably one of the best ones I've tasted. Uh, it was good balance, had some nice spice to it and everything. And I don't mean, I've met some folks that aren't big on wine. Uh, that don't like beer, they've tried meat and just absolutely fall in love mm-hmm. with the stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did too. We all we all can. Everybody give it a try. Give me a try. Now let's move on to a little bit of your home brewing experience. Tell me, when did you start home brewing? Uh, I started home brewing, um, yeah, it was uh, January of uh, 2012. My sister sent me a uh, home brewing kit from a Brooklyn brew shop uh, as a Christmas present. Uh, for a while, I've been talking with my uh, ex-wife about making my own beer and everything and the kid arrived on our doorstep after we got back from St. Louis and said well we've been talking about it. here's your chance and I did it was an IPA kit uh gave it to some folks in my church group and my director for my job at the time he was at homebrew as well he tried it hey you did a good job with this my friend said yeah this is good so I decided to order another little ing- uh, ingredient kit did it again everybody liked it so they can okay, what's going on here? So I get one more kit. People say I did a great job. I love the taste of everything. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> what are the pitfalls that the a beginning home brewer is going to make? I would say at that point, realizing, shit, uh, managing your temperatures is going to be a pain in the butt. Realizing halfway through, crap, I need more equipment. Also, just the sheer mess you make and how long it takes in your first time out because they're, even though we're trying to follow instructions, my advice to brand new homebrewers is you're going to screw up. Don't worry about it. Because I've had some guys that made some stuff in their first try. They turn it in to, to me just like for a competition or they ask me to come out and try it. And honestly, it's perfectly fine. As long as you just follow the instructions and sanitize, 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 you're going to do just fine. How many attempts did you make in the beginning before you hit your stride and said, okay, I know what I'm doing now? Hmm. I would say probably about at least a couple dozen. I think my first year just trying all, out all kinds of ideas. I had some good ones, just some recipe kits, just trying to kind of learn the whole process and everything. But um, there was a lot of just knowledge that's missing. I had a couple batches that... Um, uh, yeah, I'm hoping I didn't get anybody sick with those. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I had one batch where I just tossed in all the specialty malts and didn't realize that at the time, well, I need to put in like the base stuff to actually give it the stuff to uh, convert the starches into sugar. I had nothing like that. I don't even know how I managed to ferment that. I don't even know how anybody even managed to drink that. 
uh, sent to a good buddy of mine back here in St. Louis, since I was living out in Maryland at the time, uh, my buddy Dano, he's the one that uh, kind of helped coach me through that first year and everything. Um, he gave me some good feedback. He was honest about it, which I appreciated. I, Dano, if you're listening, I hope to God I didn't make you sick that first year with that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, I forgot where I was going with this. That's okay. <laughs> I oh, I was, I, was ask, <laughs> I was asking how many attempts you made before you hit your stride and felt confident yeah, you knew what you were doing. Uh, 20 or so. And after that, I mean, I started putting stuff in for competitions. Uh, it was kind of, I was doing okay, but just kind of didn't hit that point yet. Then while I was uh, out of work for a while, I signed on with one of the local home brewing shops in St. Louis, uh, St. Louis Wine and Beer Making. At that point, after working there for about seven or eight months all of a sudden my scores just start taking off and i just start pulling down medals left and right competitions awesome let's be realistic here because this is beer talk radio and you are under the protection of jenny the greek okay for a new beginning home brewer would you say that this is an expensive hobby and if so can you elaborate on how expensive it might be well, I would say it depends on how far you want to go with it. If you're planning on just doing a couple of batches a year, one thing they'll sell for uh, beginning homebrewers is extract. Pretty much it's malt extract. It's either down into a powder or liquid form. You ever had like a malted shake or something? I love, I, I actually had a beer dinner where I used malt. I went to the homebrewing store. I bought a bunch of stuff. This is going to come up in another episode because I'm going to be doing some beer pairing and culinary episodes since I'm a mm-hmm. chef. Like I just have to. But um, yeah, I bought the malt. It was delicious. I'd like literally just, it was so good. It was like sweet. It's, it's good it stuff, sweet. yeah. So I took the malt and I folded it into my cheesecake batter and I made it a malt Ooh. cheesecake. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Oh, it was good. It was good. It was delicious. It was subtle. It was really good though. But go ahead. How expensive is this habit going to be? I don't know. As I said, it it depends on how far you want to go with it. Um, If you want to stick to just doing like malt extract kits and everything, all you need for that really is just a three-gallon stock pot. uh, And that's pretty much it. Just like that, a spoon, and just enough stuff to kind of move between the buckets and everything. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Scott, wait. The glassware alone is very expensive. Let's be honest, right? well, you can either get go for a glass or plastic on that one. Uh, a regular fermentation bucket that's for home brewers usually costs about maybe 17, 18 bucks, I think. Uh, okay. with some of the home shops, wherever, whether you do like one of the ones that sells uh, online nationally or like one of your local ones, you can buy a complete equipment kit from anywhere from, I'd say, probably about $100 to maybe 200 depending on how fancy you want to go with it. Okay. Okay. And some for some guys, I only do it like a couple times a year. That's perfectly fine. Uh, someone like me, I've bought a somewhat automated five-gallon system that's electric po- powered. I can have it running in my kitchen. Uh, I have stuff for a propane system with pumps and everything. A uh, copper counterflow chiller. I'd say on all my stuff, I think probably maybe at least a couple thousand dollars is a good conservative estimate. It's how much money I've spent on my systems. And you know what? It's the same for culinary. You know, if you want to go out and buy a cheap knife set at Target, you know, you can become a chef for under 30 bucks. But as you grow 
in the industry. And as you start taking yourself more seriously, then you're going to spend more money. So, I mean, I think it's, it's an, it's as expensive of a hobby as, as you are serious. Your, the, your expense is going to be relative to how serious you are about it. And as you, most home brewers probably aren't entering competitions, but you are, so you definitely want to have better, better foundation for your mm-hmm. beer to prosper in. How would someone who's been home brewing and if they feel confident enough to enter a competition, can you talk about the process to entry? Is it simple? Is it complicated? How does it work? Uh, it's semi-complicated. You, uh, there's uh, depending on the competition you do, there's some software online for each competition where you can kind of go in and register and everything. You'll put in your beer style, or at least the style you think the beer is. You'll put in your name. Uh, once it's time to send beers off the competition, um, for anybody listening to this, if you're sending off beers for competition, do not send it to the Postal Service. Uh, you will get a pretty nasty letter, uh, and that's the best case scenario. I don't think anybody's gotten arrested for Ex- that. Explain why you can't send beer through the Postal Service. For, the, uh, for those of us dummies. through the U.S. Postal Service is illegal. Uh, they do give no valid reason for that one. Uh, myself, me and my local UPS office, we have a, an understanding, so to speak, at all. <laughs> Bribery has worked since the beginning of time. Well, Not saying any names. Very, bribery is a very harsh word. I prefer the term incentives. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Can you name <laughs> some of the uh, beer styles that you've created in your house? I don't know. I've tried some different versions. Uh, tried making some twists and a couple of wheat beers and everything. I used to... Uh, actually, I haven't brewed it for a while. I t- take a standard Hefeweizen recipe, like a, a standard German wheat beer, I toss in uh, some honey malt, which is a type of malt I can get from Canada that smell, well, it's uh, milled, smells and tastes like honey wheat bread. It is absolutely delicious. Mm-hmm. They'll mix in a pound or two of some, uh, this is a big thing in Germany. They have a style of beer over there called Rausch beer. Pretty mm-hmm. much it's a uh, style of beer that's made with nothing but uh, beechwood smoked barley malt. It smells and tastes like barbecue, almost like bacon sometimes. Cool. Yes, there is bacon beer out there. <laughs> so I mix a little bit of that in in there. Use like a standard uh, German wheat yeast to kind of get that good banana and clove note going. And everything, but also get the honey and the smoke in the background. Uh, it does pretty good. Judges just aren't sure what to make of it sometimes, which I can get that. I think it's more so something I like. But um, then again, I've me been... and you, me and you, we like bourbon and we like those smoky mm-hmm. beers. So for us, it would work. For other people, it's not for everyone. Yeah, I've done a smoke porter a couple times. Uh, love how that tasted. Just you can have with a porter or with the dark beers, you just kind of get like that uh, nice roast coffee and chocolate note to it mm-hmm. and everything. Then uh, adding some uh, smoke malt in there too, especially if you go really heavy on the crystal malt and everything, it's it's something divine, I think is probably the best way I would put it. Awesome. Uh, one beer that I want to try and make again, a couple of years ago, I did a maple pecan coffee stout. That is going to be what we refer to as a panty dropper. It turned out pretty nice. I uh, bet it did. Yeah, one of the uh, coffee companies around here, they carry a uh, Southern Pecan Pie coffee. I saw it one day, I was at the store thinking, you know what? I'm thinking a little bit here. So, so I plan just did like a, just like a basic stout recipe. Um, then right at the end, I toss in about two pounds of maple syrup right as the boil ended, so I get that maple flavor in there. 
uh, let that ferment. And then when it came time for me to uh, start getting everything ready for bottling, I took a bunch of pecans and candied them in maple syrup, just get, roasted them really high in the oven and everything. So they just got candied, tossed it into the fermenter, along with me about mm, three ounces of those coffee beans and let it sit for about mm, two or three days, kegged it off. Um, it almost didn't make it to the competition I was taking it to because I dropped by my uh, part-time job at the homebrew store for folks to try out. So I put the uh, party line on there for just pouring off some glasses. Then I disconnected. All of a sudden, the beer just starts spraying everywhere. And I'm just panicking, grabbing towels, just trying to cover it up. Apparently, one of the coffee grounds snuck into the keg and got stuck in the uh, liquid out uh, part of the keg. And the valve just stayed open, their little spring valve. And it took me about maybe 30 seconds to get that out of the way and get the cake to stop from spraying all over the place. By the time it was done blasting, I got that little piece of coffee ground out of there. Um, the wall was covered in beer. The floor had beer all over there. I'm soaked. Um, I didn't have my sunglasses or anything, so I got an eyeful, an eyeful and a nose full of beer. <laughs> so at that point, I'm almost blind. I'm like, God, somebody get me a towel. You got, and- <laughs> you got waterboarded by your own beer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a good beer, but that thing fought me every single step of the way for some reason. I, I love putting coffee in your beer, especially like dark beers and everything, but I need to make sure whenever I do that, I need to make sure I'm very careful careful transferring it out of there because if one of those little coffee grounds sneaks into the keg, it's just a freaking nightmare. Would there be, I mean, not the, not the artificial flavor is ever a substitute for, but you would never use, is there any sort of like coffee extract or coffee flavoring you can use instead? Well, a lot of the pro brewers are doing right now to kind of cut down on, well, problems like that, obviously. Uh, They actually use cold brew coffee in their beer. Cool. Mm -hmm. Just like do a coarse grime and then just do a cold steep and everything. And I would, I'm trying, every brewery does it differently where they, where they add their coffee. Sometimes they put it in during the brewing process. Sometimes they'll put it in during uh, primary fermentation. Sometimes a day or two before uh, bottling or kegging, they'll mix the cold brew in that way. Or they'll just uh, cheat and use something that uh, known as coffee malt. Pretty much coffee malt is a barley malt that's been treated in the kiln to a point where it has this really nice nutty fruity coffee like flavor and everything i put then some of my beers uh, i actually make a really good irish stout i put that in there along with the roasted barley oh, and uh, so i good. walked away with a silver medal from a competition in oklahoma beautiful the judges went nuts over it in the score sheets they said coffee 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 we smell coffee we love it awesome well speaking of um judging experience i just wanted to go back to when you were a judge or can you name any crazy beer styles whether they worked and were delicious or whether they didn't work and weren't delicious. I always want to give people an A for effort. So what mm-hmm. are some of the most creative beer styles that you can recall from competitors, whether they were good or not, just for effort, just for creativity? Most creative one I've seen, I think uh, one time I was judging the spice or vegetable beer category. And vegetable beer? Turned, yep. Uh, Pretty much like a squash or pumpkin or something like that. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Somebody, they turned in a... Oh, you're uh, talking like onion, zucchini, French onion beer or nothing like that. <laughs> no, 
Now, a friend of mine, he does make a mean cucumber saison. Uh, he's actually sounds uh, one good. of the brewers up at uh, Bend River Brewing in uh, Quad Cities right now. That, that one, he's good. taken gold medals all over the place with that one. He is pretty proud of that beer. Awesome. But I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, any other crazy creative beer styles you've heard enter, seen entered? Uh, I tried this one myself, just uh, somebody sent in for competition in the spice or vegetable category. It was a mushroom saison. I uh, can't remember the mushroom type. It was a very weird one that I'd never heard of before. Um, I'll give the guy points for effort. It was definitely one of the most creative beers I've tried. But um, unfortunately, the execution was a little flawed. Uh, with Judging we want to offer constructive criticism, we don't want to say anything that's going to put somebody down or discourage them from brewing. Why not? Uh, this, uh, it's more the BJCP's goal is education in brewing beer and it, and also to educate more judges as well. We are not there to discourage. We are there to encourage. So we have to use keywords for us. Um, I don't know who this guy was. Um, unfortunately, the mushroom beer, it tasted like, I feel bad for saying this, it tasted like, literally like dirt. Mm -hmm. uh, so the comments we had to give back on that one was it was very earthy. Because right. I've had one or two mushroom beers before that actually were pretty good. You can definitely tell the mushrooms in there. This one, it literally. You know what that comes like from? Soil. Mm -hmm. That that comes from the fact that he probably was afraid to wash his mushrooms and he probably put them in there straight. And it's something that I can taste as a chef when someone hasn't washed yeah. their mushrooms. So I know the flavor that you're, I know what the sensation that you're talking about. I guarantee you that's what happened. He didn't wash his mushrooms before he put them in. Mushrooms mm -hmm. are, de mushrooms have delicate skin. So, um, you can soak them and all the dirt will, will fall off um, or you can rinse them. But then sometimes people are afraid to do that because they're scared that the skin is going to come off with the flavor. But it's one of those things. It's like, what's the lesser of all evils? Either, either you serve a bad dish or in your case, a bad beer, or you do what you're supposed to do, lose a little bit of flavor, but do it right. You know? Mm -hmm. Talking about, um, you just mentioned the BJCP talk you know you want to encourage not discourage you want to educate anything else you want to mention about the culture of what you guys do the culture of the competitions it sounds fun but i imagine there's some seriousness to it as well so anything mm -hmm. else you wanted to mention about what it's like what what the people are like what the goal is what the vision is i say does the culture and the people and everything for the most part we're all you know we're all on the same team and everything we do want to see our clubs walk away with more medals, but the way it's set up is um, with the BJCP, when you're judging a competition, if you have any beers in there or if you have any friends with beers in there, you can move off in a category that doesn't involve that beer. So there, it remains impartial at that point. Uh, the software helps out with that as well. Um, it, and also judge personalities kind of vary. Sometimes you have ones that just kind of sit there and barely say anything. Other times you have ones that are uh, definitely talkers throughout the process. I'm admit to being a talker with judging and everything just because I want to make sure I'm in sync with the other judge. I want to make sure our scores match up so we can provide the best feedback possible to somebody because I do a good job at making my own beer and everything. But I know that one day I'm not going to be around to do this stuff anymore. I want to make sure my knowledge gets passed on to somebody else. The way I see it, knowledge is useless unless it's shared. 
Oh, that's beautiful. Knowledge is useless unless it's shared. I love that. I've done a, a, most of my traveling so far has kind of been in the Midwest. I've been out of Kansas City a few times, uh, judge down in St. James, Missouri, been all the way down to Springfield and the Ozarks, judge competitions there. Uh, went up to uh, Quad Cities a few months ago to help my buddy Glenn out. He's the one that I told us about with the uh, cucumber beer. Uh, Glenn, if you're listening, good work, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Uh, um, I'm hoping to do some more competitions outside of the St. Louis area. Hoping to go up to Chicago, judge a few competitions there. Uh, I've gotten a few invites for uh, – I'm one of St. Louis's few uh, BJCP Mead certified judges. I'm invited to go up and judge a competition up in uh, Vancouver. Uh, for a mead competition up there so i'm kind of debating that uh i know the Mazer cup that's pretty much like that's the super bowl of mead competitions for commercial and amateur that's in march i believe and i'm debating where they want to go after that one or not just all comes down to uh timing and cost and everything very nice knowledge is useless <laughs> unless it's shared unless it's shared Hey, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope you laughed. I hope you learned something new. And I hope you found a brand new appreciation for this beautiful liquid that we call craft beer. Please don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, and comment on iTunes. And if you'd like to follow me on any of my social media platforms, you can find them all at www.beertalkradio.net. If you'd like to send me a message directly, I am Ginny at beertalkradio.net. Thanks for drinking with me today and have a good one.